What's up, guys? It's week two of brand new FritzCast 2022 business, and <clears throat> I'm wearing the same clothes as I was in episode one. I wonder if that's because I recorded them on the same day. Who knows? That's the mystery that goes on around here. But for week two, I have a guest this week because I'm not, I'm not, I'm pulling no punches and I'm not waiting on things. Full dive back into FritzCast <coughs> around here. Excuse me. Still coughing though. Uh, mm. Excuse me. <laughs> My guest this week is Dr. Travis Corcoran, uh, who is a philosopher and liberal arts enthusiast who helps scholars properly pursue a self taught education. Restoring Reason is the book that he's just written, Using the Ancient Liberal Arts to Defend Against Modern Manipulation. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm still recording crap. How about that? Uh, in Restoring Reason, philosopher Dr. Travis Corcoran demonstrates how the liberal arts provide us with a skill set to evaluate knowledge and draw our own conclusions for clarity, confidence, and freedom. Dr. Corcoran discusses and explains the trivium, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, and the foundation it lays for making high-quality decisions for a high-quality life. This is a great interview setup, guys. Uh, and I, I implore you to check out the book, and we're going to discuss where you can find that and more in this interview. But uh, it's a really great book, and, and Dr. Travis Corcoran's a really great individual uh, and studier philosophy. So get ready. Tighten your seatbelts, because here we go. And guys, my guest today, Dr. Travis Corcoran. How are you, sir? Good. Thanks for having me on, Fritz. I totally meant to ask this before we started recording, but it is Travis Corcoran, right? Yeah, you said it just right, man. Okay. All right. I listened to a couple of different interviews and your presentations before we started today, so I was pretty sure that's what it was, but I, I slipped up before. So I'm very, uh, very thankful for the time that uh, you're giving me today to, to come here. Uh, and talk about your new book, Restoring Reason, uh, which is using the ancient liberal arts to defend against modern manipulation. I think that's a huge topic to dive into. But before we get into the book, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and kind of lead us up to what got you writing this book? Yeah, of course. My pleasure. Um, I would say education-wise, I did um, what might be interesting to know. I studied some nuclear engineering when I was in the military with the Navy and then, or nuclear power, then later went back to university. I started my education in biology with the intention of maybe being a dentist or medical doctor, even went and took the exam uh, and was waiting to start uh, medical school. And then, uh, but halfway through, I switched from biology to philosophy, still went in that direction, but uh, philosophy became a big thing for me. After that, and learning a little bit more about the medical system, because I was following some medical doctors, I decided that wasn't for me. The guys, the medical doctors I knew and followed, they were very open and honest with me. 
So that made me change my mind. So kind of got lost for a minute because I had already invested four years education into all the prereqs for that. Um, and then shifted, went out, worked in the field as an engineer a little bit. And then that's when I hurt my back and uh, I actually went to chiropractic school when I was helped with chiropractic. Not that it just helped my back pain, but like all these other things started happening with my health that there was just no explanation. Now there's a very clear, evident explanation. But then I studied chiropractic and uh, yeah, and now I've just really focused on uh, those first three liberal arts, which I wrote the book about uh, just because I want to bring more reason into the world, more reason into healthcare politics, which we certainly need and uh, into in business and into relationships, but most importantly, Fritz, and hopefully this discussion, I'd like to bring more reason into discussion to restore reason to discussions or debates. Well, <clears throat> well, that's a very, very good thing. That's one of the reasons I was really excited that your people reached out because uh, I, I feel like reason is very sorely lacking in the world right now. Uh, I, I feel like too many people tap into other things to give them that sense of direction rather than finding their own sense of direction. And I'm, I'm, I'm certain as I've been reading through, uh, through your book, it, it seems uh, you're the same way where, where people are kind of looking for somebody to point them in directions than them taking their own direction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, free, that sovereignty, that free independent thought and critical thinking it, I'm sure you've noticed as well, seems to be in very short supply right now. And it's a real shame because that's the one thing that can really solve our problems. I don't know any problems that are solved um, by emotional outrage. Most problems are solved or any problem is solved through an understanding. I certainly want, if something's wrong with my car, I want to take it to someone and they're going to fix it with emotional outrage or right. like, discontent. They, they need to understand how does this vehicle work? And they'll take the proper steps to, to remedy it, but it's not going to happen without an understanding. And that goes with the way our uh, same with our social structure. Right. And a, a lot of this, especially in the, in the beginning of the book, you, you start focusing on education uh, and, and in you bringing up your own education. It seems you jumped around a lot uh, yourself trying to figure out uh, the right way. But uh, one of the things that you say, education is, is part of this, this, uh, team of things that are manipulating us in one way shape or form uh, and do you think that education itself just the structure of education itself right now is is not so much of uh, uh, learning how to unlock those things in your mind the way that you process things and the way that you make decisions do you think that it's it's just not opening that up and helping people expand on that yeah yeah definitely uh that's why I, yeah, that's exactly what I think. And that's why I was very specific in the book to use the word academia, because um, academia is now so formal, so entrenched, and it's almost like a non-education. It's not education, it's more schooling and training is probably the more appropriate word now for what happens in the uh, academic system. And that probably started those that know, or anyone who's reading John Taylor Gatto, um, which I would recommend knows that uh, the, the Prussian model of schooling was first to like establish state allegiance or loyalty to the states, right? And then later what transpired or happened or how that evolved was then captains of industry saw, well, if this really works to 
garner allegiance to the state, then we can also use this to create a good worker class, ones that are committed, devoted to working, not developing their mind, but like, yeah, performers, not thinkers. So I wouldn't say we, it's almost a misnomer to say we have an education system now. It's, it is truly like a schooling system. We sit in rows, uh, we move around at the whim of a bell, uh, information is categorized uh, or compartmentalized in our mind, and we, we move from one class to the next like uh, Pavlov's dogs when that bell goes off. That was a section that really resonated uh, in your book. I'm going to quote on page 39 right here. Quote, they input, you memorize, and give them back the output, which matches the input to the letter, at least if you want high marks, um, which is a, a, just a good quip. And thinking about my education coming up, uh, I was one of those types that was just very, very bored with the whole school system, um, mostly because of how regimented it was and how you just brought up there. I mean, it was something that you had to go to and, and the, their explanation made sense. You, you go here because you need to get your education because if you want to get out in the workforce and have a good job and be able to support yourself and in, in, in your life, you're going to need this stuff and you're going to need to go to college regardless of what you want to go for if you even know what you want to go for you you want to go and get your degree so that when you enter the workforce you, you've got all the credentials not you know marked off and, and you're you're being a good little person you know you'll, you'll be yeah. able to get on that footing but that's where it stops it doesn't do anything else other than that no i would say like it, your story and, and probably the same for many of your listeners as well like this this system certainly doesn't serve you or me, your listeners. It really doesn't serve many of us, but it does serve um, what, I, what I call in that book, those five, those five main institutions. And like just in your story right there, you can see how seamlessly they all work together, how academia works really well with big government, big corporations. They, they benefit greatly from us just doing that, not cultivating ourselves, not being innovators, but to be more take in the input, repeat it back. It'll make for a good worker. And like you said, I, I love the way you said that you're just supposed to do it. This is how you get a good job. Yeah. But it doesn't give you the freedom that most people like yourself want the freedom to think for yourself, to innovate, start your own business. You're just taught here's the capital of France, pay your taxes. It's the information that we're given in school. It really doesn't serve us like it should. Yeah, it reminds me of a it reminds me of a Steve McQueen quote. I think he said uh, something along the lines of I need a purpose for why I'm doing something something otherwise I'm just lost. And and that's how that's how the world feels a lot right now with with a lot of things going on. I think you uh, I think he pegged the uh, the big culprits well enough academia, big corporations, big tech, legacy media and big government. Um, all these things are influencing us and and sadly sadly it, it starts with education and yeah. would you I, perhaps you'd be arguing this on the same point that i would do you think that because of what the education system is now uh everybody well not everybody but a, a lot of people are out there basically fearing anything other than what they what they know yeah, I, yeah, I'm in 100% agreement with that, right? And that's what makes it so easy. And in fact, I agree with that so much that I would argue also that the, the malevolent or malicious entities trying to deceive us, 
they know that better than us and leverage that fear because they know that it has that very effect. That when you're afraid, you'll, you, uh, you seek certainty, you seek, you seek safety, and you seek it so bad that often what you reach for is worse than what you have or worse than the thing you're told to be afraid of, right? We, we're um, so afraid of everything. And what the solutions we reach for have been prepared for us. And they certainly don't serve us, I would argue. No, no. Not, I, doesn't mean that I think everyone is, it's not all conspiracy theory and stuff, but there are certainly nefarious elements within these so-called trusted institutions. Right. I mean, 100%. And to deny that is absolutely crazy. I, I would take it like to evidence just a couple of those institutions that we're discussing. Just look at, um, it will take healthcare and some of the big corporations in healthcare. Every single year, one of the major pharmaceutical companies is found you know, guilty for scientific fraud, uh, um, bribing scientists or something, right? Billions of dollars in fines every year for these large pharmaceutical companies, right? Okay, so we know that, that that alone is evidence that the big corporations can't entirely be trusted. The people that we also trust to enforce them or bring them to justice, big government, has also failed, right? Um, for us, and for that to be reported to us, we know that legacy media has failed us, and that these systems are continually filled with more people that defend it. That tells us that acad academia has um, failed us and is corrupt, and that you and I can't even discuss this in open discussion or debate on social media tells us that big tech is also uh, in collusion, in my opinion. And that's just taking an op one observation about known facts from pharmaceutical companies. And you can take that, and it, it alone will demonstrate how all five of those institutions work together and uh, have a lot to answer for. Yeah, yeah, and that's a big that's a big demon to bust. I'm, but with academia being almost the starting point, academia kind of starts this all off, doesn't it? Yeah, hundred percent, Fritz. Yeah. yeah, that's where uh, that's where the seeds are planted, right? Yeah, and those uh, and that's it's not called like the formative years <laughs> by coincidence, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's a hundred percent true, and that's something that pops in my head more and more often. I have a very very young daughter, and I have a, a, a my wife is uh, pregnant with one on the way, and the more this used to be a subject, I guess that was kind of on the back burner in my head because I was like, well, I'm past that. I'm I'm doing my own. I can study, I can research, I can gain whatever knowledge and and understandings that I want from my own experiences. I can do a lot of things on my own. So yeah. I wasn't so concerned with, you know, uh, what, what's the next generation going to do, except now I have, a, I have a next generation directly tied to me. And it's like, ooh, I know all these things that I hated growing up. I knew all these things that I hated uh, in my life. And, and how can I make it better for their life? How can I foster an environment in which, you know, they can get some of these core principles uh, into them? knowing the uphill battle they face with all these other institutions around them. Yeah, man, I wish, uh, 
I really wish more parents would think like that, man, because I think that's the way forward. And it's it's easy for us to all talk about what's going on and what's wrong with the world, what could be better, but there, there's not enough talk about what the actual solution is. And for me, that's always going to come back to one word, understanding. And in order to understand something, you must practice reason. It, it, you cannot understand something from an emotional reaction point of view, right? That's just an indication of how you feel about what's going on. Right. Like I said, the car, getting my car fixed is an emotional reaction will not fix what's wrong with my car, but an understanding of it will. That's right. And that's, that's part of the, the trivium, which you refer to quite often in this book, because it's about the trivium, uh, mm-hmm. in which, in which you said understanding, there's a difference between knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Can you expand on, on the trivium for us and the differences between these, these three? Yeah, the um, and they, they go in that order too. Actually, knowledge being the first of the those three liberal arts. There's seven liberal arts in total, but I only talk about the first three really because those are three have to do with the quality of uh, individual's mind. The first one uh, used to be called it was knowledge. Now it's called grammar, I think, in more like traditional terms. But knowledge is basically you've taken in some input or data, like every child does the first seven years of a child's life. That's all they do, actually, right? They're not asking deeper questions about that knowledge. You're just taking in data. And that's important. Just like your computer, it's got a hard drive full of data. However, that second liberal art, understanding, to me, that's where real power is. And that means you you can draw conclusions, you're asking questions. And that's what I mean, you probably notice in your child, I don't know how old they are. But around the age of seven and nine, that's when they start to ask questions, right? They want to know, they know that the sky's blue, but now they want to know why. They, right. they know that Santa, cl- Santa comes on Christmas, but they want to know how, how does that guy travel to every house? And that they want, at that age, they want to start making sense, right? And then finally, another, con- coincidentally, another seven years later, they're probably 14, so what we call in the US, um, sophomore, the wise fool. Right now they have such a sufficient knowledge base, which hopefully they continue to acquire knowledge like you and I, and many of your listeners, we keep acquiring knowledge. Hopefully we're still thinking critically and asking about it, but we don't develop the expression that that's the third liberal art wisdom. We don't develop that third liberal art till the age about 14. Wisdom is the expression of your knowledge and understanding what you know and what you understand. And you see that in like children, that's when they start like, I don't want to say rebelling against the parents, but they have a lot more to say. Um, They begin to think that they kind of know it all. Um, Maybe they did before that, but it's not until that age that they start expressing it verbally. So those are the first three liberal arts, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, or basically input processing and and output. Right, right. So as a lot of people are getting their foundation set and it is specifically going around this it's not giving people these tools my next big question for you is how do we get people to think in those terms and want to dive into it because as we discussed fear is a big thing in the in the room people fear a lot they're afraid to go against these things they're afraid to even challenge it because they're uncertain about what the outcome is. At least they know what the outcomes are now. Yeah. Fritz, man, that is probably one of the most popular questions I get asked and probably the most profound and most important to answer. 
and this is this is my current thinking on it right now that there are two things how do we how do we change this how do we get out of this how do we get rid of the fear how do we establish interest in this and i would say two things and it's almost like they have to occur simultaneously one is that people really must understand the difference between feeling and thinking they're both constructs of the mind but just because they're both happening in the mind doesn't mean they're identical feeling is reactionary thinking is responsive i have rational responses and emotional reactions they're, they're not the same thing right and once people understand that that they're not the same just just because you feel strongly about something doesn't make it true doesn't mean you thought critically about it that's that's something different and i'm not being dismissive of emotions or feelings they're uh, incredibly valid and important it's just not the function they serve right like gasoline is important for my car but it doesn't steer the wheel right right it just has a different function that's all so once that's understood the next thing is to and this is why i wrote the book actually how do we get people interested in this and how do we turn it around i think this is just my opinion i think that people need to see how it's directly related to to their life and how it would value them people aren't interested in things unless they get something out of it and so that's why when i wrote this book i you you probably know i've talked about those four areas of our life that are really important healthcare relationships business and politics and we could go further but I just touched on these four areas, like how does studying the trivium or those first three liberal arts, how is that going to impact your life positively in those four areas? And, and of course, many others. But that's why I talked about it in the book, because prior to that, I was always recommending this inc the most incredible book I've ever read, um, The Trivium by Sister Miriam Joseph. And I'd recommend it to everyone that asked me about the trivium and it's the most comprehensive book. However, it's not very sexy. It's very dry. It's like, it, it, it is a, like a school text. Mm -hmm. However, it is so good. It is so valuable, but people just weren't taking it up because we have shorter attention spans or they can't foresee the, the potential value and impact that all of this would have on their life. So that's what I did is basically I summarized kind of the trivium, but really focused on here's where it will be of incredible value to you. And, but the beginning of the book, I wrote like what you're up against and why it would be important. Um, and what, what happens if you avoid these things or neglect them? So to answer your question, that's what I think we need to demonstrate that this brings incredible value into your life. Yeah. And, and without, without it, you're, you're like a, a ship a ship on the sea with your sail up and just the wind takes you you know hands off the wheel and the wind takes you wherever it wants yeah yeah a lot of things like on autopilot almost like i'll just go for the ride i won't take the uh the helm that's where i found a, a lot of uh i was drawing a lot of um similarities between your book and a book that i had i had just been reading um about addictive thinking and and how the mind can you know kind of uh if you don't if you don't take control of, of your own mind, it's, it's kind of like how you talk about analyzing your emotions instead of just reacting emotionally. 
if you, yeah. if you don't take control of, of your own mind, which is a machine, it's part of you. Um, if you don't take control of it, your mind can go anywhere at once. And you might just be a passenger on the journey uh, to it, which, which could be, it could end up being a good thing. It could be a huge detriment to you and your development. Yeah. If you, if you, if you let it do, which is, which is one of the reasons why I, I think your book was striking me so particularly because I just finished reading this book about addictive thinking and, and ways that, ways that my own mind was manipulating myself, um, which when you dive into something like that, uh, it kind of makes you take a step back and go, wow, there's a lot in my life that I kind of didn't, you know, have in control. And, and um, I I think it's very important um, to put that out there. Uh, Beyond, beyond what you're talking about in your book, though, um, like, one of the things that you say is knowledge is power as a common saying, but you, you challenge that by saying logic is power. Um, can you break down the difference for us in that? Because we kind of discussed knowledge, knowing something is only about half of, of what you can get out of it. Uh, if you can regurgitate knowledge, that's one thing that you can do, but do you really understand it uh, fr- from, you know, a, a, from what it actually means? Yeah, yeah, that's, you hear it all the time, knowledge is power. And I, I think that's so overplayed because um, knowledge can be correct or incorrect. It's not very powerful to have a bunch of incorrect knowledge. Furthermore, like, uh, I, just as an example, like the Pythagorean theorem, like, we all know what it is, but that doesn't make me smart. You know, I can tell you what the Pythagorean theorem, theorem is. Now you know it. Okay, but do you understand it? Can you apply it? Because without an understanding, it has zero value. And that's, that's something that's correct even, right? So the Pythagorean theorem, yeah, it's correct. If you remember what I tell you, a squared plus b squared equals c squared in a two-dimensional right triangle. Okay, got it. How is that powerful if you don't understand what, that, what it means, right? Understanding is real power. And the reason is because understanding or logic is systematic, reproducible, stable, reliable, no different than addition, subtraction. Those things, understanding addition is powerful. Understanding procedures, process, something that's repeatable, reliable, and systematic. That's where real power comes from. And that's why I'm still got my fingers crossed for, you know, we talk, we live in the age of information. Yeah, great. I can't wait for the age of, uh, age of understanding. That's true. Yeah, because uh, information is, is available at our fingertips uh, at any point in the day. It's I can get anything right here on demand, you know, yeah. but but what you get out of this, as you've stated, if if all these if, if the big five are all playing intertwined with each other to manipulate our thinking, I don't think a lot of people think about how much this can manipulate your thinking, how much yeah. this can manipulate your your very thoughts and even your emotions. Uh, on yeah. a day-to-day basis, um, this can be a great tool. It can be the devil in disguise. It it really is what you make of it, but it's how you use it and how you break it down. Yeah, it, and what you were there was something you said earlier, Fritz. I thought was real good, like uh, about that book you're reading about addictive thinking. Yeah, like and how often we we don't have control of our mind. We like. And there's the problem. If you're not in control of your mind, well, well, there are plenty of people who, who are happy to take it for you. Yeah. And, and that's what happens. Like if you're not controlling it, someone else is. And if not someone, some 
ideology or institution, whatever elicits your emotions, because that's the, the quickest way to subvert your, your ability to think independently, right? Is to elicit some emotion, right? Because yeah. there's nothing you can do. Even the most logical person in the world uh, still reacts, right? It's, it's, it's normal and healthy to react. What's not normal is to not reflect on those emotional reactions to stay stuck in that emotional reaction and to operate and make decisions from that emotional reaction, that is when you've lost control of your mind. Yeah, and that ties into something else that you uh, you speak out heavily against in in this book is the uh, the wonderful world of self help uh, literature and and uh, a host of other things. There's apps for for self help and and you know there's videos, series, and podcasts and all that stuff. But at the core of self help, you speak out against this, and and it's something that uh, that came into mind when I was comparing your book and addictive thinking as well. Uh, because addictive thinking, when I went into reading it, I thought this is just one of those like self-help book things, but it's not. It, it's not because a self-help book, you, you argue, appeals to one's emotion and kind of change your emotional feelings about something. Whereas a book like addictive thinking or this book isn't coming out and saying, you know, change your emotional view of it. It's flatly stating that, you know, this is something that you're not looking at the right way. Yeah, that's the, that, Fritz, that was my favorite part of the book to write was, <laughs> I think there were like 10 or 15, like, things I kind of criticized about self-help. You can, I'm sure you can understand that doesn't make me like probably the most popular author to uh, anyone in the self-help industry that uses those manipulative tactics or appeals to emotion, thinking that you're going to change something permanent based on emotions, which are never permanent, that they, they flow like the ebb and tide. like how you feel right now can change in two minutes, five minutes, five months, how you feel about your, your neighbors, whatever emotions are not stable, because they're not supposed to be that's not what they're meant to do. So it's funny that people seek self help rooted in a, like controlling emotions, managing emotions, but that's, uh, yeah, I don't know, like a, a leaky bucket, it's, it's not going to go anywhere. No, and that, that was this part of the book to write I probably could have done a whole book on that and right. a lot more than 15 uh, examples no no I agree with you I agree with you on that and then uh, <clears throat> it just resonated really well with me in in trying to take these steps in myself you know I realized that that in in trying to make these changes this isn't something where self-help kind of like presents this thing where you know hey if you stick to this plan within you know within like three months you'll be you'll be good or something. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, when, when you break down uh, something like this, when you're trying to change something in yourself, change your thinking, utilizing something like the trivium, this isn't something where like you reach a point in your life and you're just like, I, I'm the guru now. I've got it all. <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I'll never have to work or put effort into this ever again. And I think that's a problem. Uh, we live in such an on-demand world of, of I get what I want right now instantaneously, exactly how I want it, that uh, it's obviously plaguing what it's plaguing the work that you're trying to accomplish right now, which you're yeah. already aware of. You, you already know how, how big of a battle it is. I think a lot of people out there probably don't realize how big of a battle it is just because of how submerged we are in this world. Yeah. Some people are just so, I'll tell you the, 
I would say maybe I don't know. Tell me what you think, but I would say the people that are the most entrenched are the are those that are highly credentialed by or get their livelihood from one of those or more one or more of those five institutions. Like I could like the probably the biggest critics of my book. And what, what I'm espousing is, uh, or theorizing in that book or putting forth in the book are people that are deeply entrenched, credentialed by, and have their livelihood in academia or legacy media, uh, big government. They, they will defend those institutions, right? And, and the thing is, I'm not really like criticizing the people. I'm criticizing the system and the structure that it is. Certainly there are good people and bad people in both those systems. But it, yeah, it's funny what we'll do to preserve our conviction bias. You know, when we're so invested in something, we feel so strongly about it. I get my paychecks from it. Um, I got all these big awards and uh, teacher of the year, journalist of the year, or what, whatever it might be, right? Uh, politician of the year or president, right? Right. You're not going to like what I have to say in this book just not because I'm attacking you personally, but I'm attacking something you're fully invested in that needs to be evaluated. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to butt heads with you on that. Uh, I honestly think speaking as somebody, and I, I just, I just recorded an episode before we even started talking. It's kind of like my, you know, big return episode uh, in which I discussed some of the things I was going through. You know, I fully believe that uh, that I'm a tech addict. You know, I fully believe that uh, that I have that. You know, when I said this can be the devil, you know, there was a lot of time prior to you know this new year coming on where I wasted a lot of time on this thing, um, and and not just not because I was willing to, but because I had I impulsively was submerging myself into a big tech world and social media and all that and. And when you're trying to fight against it, when you're in it, you're in it. And you don't, you don't view things as problematic. You don't view your own behaviors as problem, problematic sometimes and even become defensive when people are trying to discuss it with you uh, yeah. on another level. And, and so I, I know firsthand how, how it feels to, for somebody to say, I think you have a problem you know, with your social media or your tech usage or something and to feel like, you know, oh, I'm being attacked and now I'm gonna get defensive and kind of butt heads with you and, and take a defensive stance and, and keep, my, you know, keep my ground. It's not thinking about it logically. It's not analyzing it. It's literally reacting with emotion and based on other, you know, based on impulses and addictions that you might have, um, which makes things difficult, but that's, that's life. Life's difficult. Yeah, I, it's what you're doing, though, I think I find that actually productive because you're, you're actually being critical of yourself. You're evaluating yourself. You're not like it. That's what you should be doing. Right. More people should be doing it like you are. You're taking a look at yourself. You, and when you're saying you're like, I'm being defensive when people talk about my tech use, that that's actually good. Right. You, it's just your ego doing its job, protecting or defending your your uh, perception, which is good. Um, what I'm attacking is the institution of big tech, not an individual's use of it, but their submersion in being a tech guru or provider, uh, being credentialed by that institution. 
mostly social medias and stuff. But the, the users, um, I think we all, I struggle with it too. And I'm not, I'm not saying that um, the technology is bad, right? Because uh, right. it's, it's how it's used. A lot of people say, oh, the television is horrible. Why? What the television does nothing. It's just a box of uh, plastic wires and glass, I guess. I and, um, but how it's used could be bad or it could be good. Just like a hammer. I can build a house with a hammer, but I could smash the windows in a church, right? It, the hammer itself is not bad. Tech is not bad. I, I would, this is a big statement. <laughs> I would even say government's not bad. However, the way it's used, leveraged and exploited can be yeah. probably the most devastating thing to our freedoms there is. Right. Well, I'm sure you would, you'd probably even go on to argue that uh, while, while your focus is on these institutions, it's kind of, uh, it, it kind of goes back to the examples you gave of like a teacher getting teacher of the year award and wanting to defend academia. I think that you could still be in those institutions, but you've got to have that understanding and be critical where it needs to be critical. And I think that's, I think that's a point that you're arguing here. Yeah, for sure. I, and there's a lot of like, um, what's that guy? That Jordan Peterson, he talks about that a lot, that um, something I really agree with him and anyone that's an advocate for free speech, um, whether I agree with you politically or not or whatever, I, I still like without the free speech, these institutions become so single-minded, so one narrative that um, any self-reflection or criticism is impossible. We need to have this uh, free speech and the ability to discuss or uh, dissent from bad ideas, right? Yeah. But uh, we live now in a culture where these five institutions, academia being the, the core where the seed is planted, they work in such collusion with one another that they protect like really one narrative and we're all suffering for it. Even the, those at the top who think they're so clever we all suffer when we can't uh, speak openly and resolve conflicts. Conflicts clarify, right? We, yeah. we need that to practice discernment. And uh, right now that opportunity is to, conflict is an opportunity, conflict of ideas. It's an opportunity to see which idea is better. However, in our culture today, there is, well, that idea hurts my feelings. So that one shut down. This one is a way to signal how virtuous I am. This one gets propelled or yeah. hoisted up, right? That is not um, a competition of ideas. That is the wholesale slaughter of one side of ideas to basically preserve the other set arbitrarily. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> almost lost my train of thought there. Hold on. So as we're discussing how this, how especially the big five play into this, um, what you're talking about with the trivium isn't just something to, to utilize against them, but it's also something that can be used in our lives and in a variety of different ways, um, such as in our business lives, in our work lives, healthcare and politics. So how can, how can these uh, be used in these aspects of our lives, how can how could me, Joe Schmo, learning about them, start applying them in these various aspects of my life? Well, um, well, let's just say in business. Uh, certainly, in business, if you were to make an investment or a decision, you'd want it to be uh, that when you make a decision, 
you want the knowledge about that decision to be correct. You want your understanding to be true and you want to communicate it effectively, right? I mean, that's, that's the most, I don't know anyone in business that's successful simply because they, um, they react like emotionally to everything, everything, every business decision is an emotional reaction <laughs> that does not equate to business success. And can you imagine like taking care of your health in the same way? Like this belief system, I would love to believe like, so emotionally, man, I love uh, ice cream and donuts, let's say. Well, that belief system and those emotions and making decisions based on those isn't gonna create health for me. I need to know what is, what is a nutrient or what is illness, what is health? I need a correct knowledge of those terms and then an understanding of what they mean and how to achieve them. And then the third liberal art, execution. I need to act on that, right? Uh, no different with uh, politics, relationship, everything. It always comes back to, you have problems in your life, you want them resolved. It's never gonna happen coming from a place of emotion. Um, the, your emotional reactions tell you what the problem, tell you that there's a problem. Right? There's something that needs to be resolved or things are going well. Like when you're in a relationship and like you, you feel this incredible love, adoration, validation and all that, um, the, the emotions are confirming that things are well. Right? If you're having other emotions that tell you something's wrong. All right. Well, that's all they are. The emotions are like an indicator panel. They aren't the, the way to solving the things. They just tell you there is a problem. Like, there's a difference between the oil light in my car going on and the, and the oil I'm going to use to correct the problem. Right? They, are, they are separate. They are not the same thing. One will solve the problem. One tells me there's a problem. And we, we are being... Um, I would say that's the biggest way we're being manipulated besides appeal to authority, all the fallacies of relevance and red herrings, but the appeal to emotion. That is the quickest, shortest way to subvert the trivium or that path from knowing, understanding and executing or communicating, taking action, whatever you want to call it. It basically skips the logic step. If you can elicit enough motion, it shuts down logic. So people go directly from knowledge that they will not evaluate and they cannot because they're in an emotional, emotionally reactive state and they go directly to action. Right. Because they are spurned by emotion instead of like um, conforming to reason. And that, that's what the whole book is on. I want to restore reason to every, as, as many aspects of our lives as possible. Business, relationship, politics, health, I hope that answers the question. No, 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 no. I, I beautifully answered the question. So when it comes to your book and your work online, where can, uh, where can the people that are listening right now, where can they figure out more about Restoring Reason and more about uh, Dr. Travis uh, Cochran and, well, and what you're doing? The, the best and the easiest, Fritz, is just go to um, the website, restoringreason.com. If you just go there, restoringreason.com, you can, you can order the book, you can find out about me. And if uh, you're still not, uh, you're still on the fence, or I don't know if what this is like, or what it's about, uh, you can also download the first chapter for free. Like, so there's no strings attached. And the first chapter, you've read the book, it, mm -hmm. I think it gives a good 
like uh, game plan, what's going to be discussed, why it's important, and if if you want to read the book or not. Yeah, no, I highly implore everybody listening to to check out the first chapter of the book. Uh, you know, immediately. I think, I think if you're in that setting that that I'm in, where you're inquisitive and and you really want to break into these things, knowing the problems that we're facing in the world right now, I think I think it'll definitely get people hooked on and then wanting to get their own copies of Restoring Reason. And I highly implore everybody out there listening right now to to go to the website and do that now. Um, <clears throat> Doctor, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate having you on. Um, I, I always give my guests, you know, a final thought or final word. So I'm going to give that to you now before we sign off. Uh, yeah, just uh, I would love to. How do I say this? I would love to live in a better place and in a better world, right? And the people, like just like roommates, you want to your roommates or your family, you want a good relationship with them because you live together in the same house. Well, just expand that. Well, we live together in the same city, same community, the same nation, the same, we all live on the same planet. And if I, if you and I both want a higher quality of life, then we have to work on the quality of our mind. And that's what I would encourage everyone to do. And that's what I set out in the book. Best of luck. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for coming on again, sir. Hey, my pleasure, Fritz, man. It was a great, and uh, I'm going to get that book from you, that recommendation about addictive thinking that really piqued my interest. Absolutely.